Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So hello there and welcome to a brand new episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast, a show where we take all of the latest news, gossip and events in the world of Formula One and we relay that back to you for your listening and viewing pleasure, depending on which platform you choose to follow us on. And of course we are in a bit of a break now, we have had a lot of races coming up in the last few weeks, one after the other. Double headers, triple headers, quadruple headers, probably not that many. But nonetheless, of course, we haven't had many opportunities to have a bit of open discussion over some of the behind the scenes talking points. Now, of course, we did do an episode where we talked about a bit of a news roundup. And this one is going to kind of follow that um, sort of structure, if you like. However, we're going to have a bit more of an open discussion and debate on this because it seems that there is a battle going on right now for the world championship between Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton. But equally, there are subsequent battles going on behind the scenes between particularly Red Bull and Mercedes, which are equally as intense and in some ways all the more gripping for different reasons. But of course, we'll get into that discussion momentarily. Of course, joining me once again, my co-host, Mr. Courtney Pine, sporting his mud shoot shirt from uh, representing. work, <laughs> representing the farm. Of course, it's a great place. If you are in the local area in uh, Greenwich near South East London, definitely check it out. Much Farm, really nice place. And of course, you'll get to meet Courtney. I'm pretty sure he won't mind as long as you find attraction, I'm sure. Well, yep. that if you're not an animal lover, then I guess by default, Courtney would qualify as the attraction. Um, but even if you are, I'm pretty sure that's he's probably up there as well. But uh, Courtney, of course, we're recording on a Friday evening. So, uh, yeah, how are you feeling? Yeah, doing good, mate. It actually feels like forever since we last recorded, even though it's on a Sunday. Yeah, we did do a race review, of course, of the Monaco Grand Prix. Not exactly the most exciting race, I think we can all agree. But it did have some talking points. And there were plenty of talking points in the build-up to the Monaco Grand Prix as well, which I think we're going to get into. And it, it must be said, Courtney, this championship now is very much alive in terms of the intensity. I think now that Max Verstappen has won his second race of the season at Monaco and has now taken the outright lead in the Drivers' Championship for the first time in his career, all of a sudden, it does seem that this Red Bull versus Mercedes, Verstappen versus Hamilton, Horner versus Wolf rivalry has really come to life for the first time in the turbo hybrid era. And, and you can't blame Red Bull for really digging their heels in and try to play up to this as much as they can. Not to say that they're instigating this debate or this war of words, if you like, with Mercedes. But this is the first time, as I said before, in this turbo hybrid era, so for the best part of eight years, that Red Bull have really got themselves in the game here. So it, it kind of brings up a lot of rhetoric, a lot of words, a lot of stuff being said back and forth from Red Bull's perspective that we haven't really seen for a very, very long time. I think one of the most um, 
vital point worth noting is Bottas's DNF because we always knew that there was a championship battle between Lewis and Max, even though Lewis had the edge until Monaco. Mercedes were fairly comfortable coming into Monaco in the Constructors' Championship. But because Lewis had such a bad day and Bottas's bad, um, uh, Bottas's DNF, with a good performance by Sergio Perez, not only is the Drivers' Championship wide open, so is the Constructors. So there definitely is going to be a lot of tension bubbling between these two teams. Absolutely. And it's the sort of thing that you tend to see uh, if you're, you know, between football clubs before a big final or a big derby or something. And, you know, the managers will say their pieces and certain players will kind of G the fans up and everything else. And social media obviously chimes in where it can as well, probably more so than most. You don't really see that very often in Formula One. So when you do see it behind the PC filter, if you like, of modern day Formula One, as much as we try it does tend to add a little bit of spice to it. And I've said for a while now, I was waiting for this championship to come into life because the only battle we were seeing was who was going to win the race between Lewis and Max. And now we're starting to see this championship is starting to take on another footing now where more people are getting involved because of course there are obviously going to be so many different people involved, not just Lewis and Max, but you know, the teams, personnel there, fans, team bosses, etc. It's starting to get a little bit more exciting mm. now. And this should be absolute reason, especially given that um, after the Spanish Grand Prix, a lot of us, myself included, were worried that Mercedes had found themselves a foothold where Red Bull were kind of in their pocket almost. But it seems that Max has breathed new life into this championship with that Monaco win. I think another thing worth noting is the change in personnel. So Red Bull have taken quite a few people from um, from Mercedes. And obviously, not only is it going to help Red Bull long-term with the development, but that is another example of mind games, trying to poach some of your best people. Hmm. So we're already seeing a, a, a lot of um, a lot of intentional act, uh, actions to build up the tension because throughout the turbo hybrid era, Red Bull went from an era where they dominated winning four consecutive uh, drivers and constructors championships and all of a sudden they lost it all um, and obviously they were struggling they're probably the, uh, out on average probably the third best team practice and uh, Christian Orner has probably been one of the most outspoken people complaining about the engine regulations obviously we had the, the thing with Hass, uh, with Das sorry in 2020 you had like the last minute challenge on the day of the, uh, the first race so Christian Orner has been very outspoken so it's no surprise that he's going to be up for this battle or this war of words because he's been doing it for years anyway. Yeah, if there's someone who's usually up for getting his uh, hands dirty, if you like, in a sort of situation like this, it's definitely Christian Horner. And do you know what? Some people find that annoying, but I love that. I love, it's, um, what's the right word for it? Do you know what? I'm going to say for what it is. It is shithousery. I, I think it it's is, the best way of it describing is. it. And I don't often swear on this podcast, so I do apologise if that's not your thing, but there's no other way to put it. But it's done in the in a way to try and stir the pot, if you like, to try and wind up the opponent, play mind games, if you like. That's something that's been touted around a lot lately. And let's be honest, Courtney, how often have we seen in other sports where mind games, as well as the physical and the driving and the technical, the mental side of it, does play a huge significance to the championship. And I think for the first time in the turbo hybrid era, even when Ferrari were nipping at the heels of Mercedes, there was always a, scent, a feeling that Mercedes had the upper hand and that Ferrari weren't doing enough on perhaps the mental side of things or the mind game side of things to really get on top of Mercedes. It almost felt like Mercedes had them in their grasp and Lewis in particular. But this is the first time I feel like Mercedes have come up against a team who really get them thinking twice, I suppose, on this and really are there to aggravate them a lot more than just what they do on a Sunday at a racetrack. I still believe, like, we'll probably see people in the comments going, oh, Mercedes fan, but um, I do still believe that Mercedes have the edge. I still feel have the, the edge uh, not only on the actual car itself. I think Max done brilliantly in Monaco, so did Red Bull, taking nothing away from them, but they were expected to dominate. They usually do a lot better at Monaco. Mm. I think, generally speaking, I think Mercedes do have the edge in the development war. And I think that 
that experience they have, you, you, they've won seven consecutive championships. They aren't good. They aren't going to back down. But of course, Red Bull are going to be a stiff challenge for them. But yeah, I, I do think Mercedes still have the edge. But the combination of Christian Horner and Max Verstappen, the slightest mistake Mercedes make, and we saw it over the weekend in Monaco, Mercedes are going to have to be on their A game as consistently as possible, or Red Bull will be there at the end of the season, going for not only the drivers, but the Constructors' Championship as well. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I should clarify to our listeners and viewers that I did try to get a Red Bull fan as a guest on this episode to sort of go toe-to-toe with Courtney on this. Unfortunately, they were otherwise occupied, so it was a missed opportunity, and I apologise for that. But that being said, of course, you know, you are right to point out Mercedes pedigree in this situation. They are the top team. They are the ones that have been there and done that. Of course, Red Bull had their era of dominance, but it was very one-sided in a way that Mercedes are experiencing up until now. So it's rather interesting that Red Bull didn't really have that challenge. You know, Fernando Alonso in the Ferrari, you could argue, but it was always an underdog story. It was never really equal footing where Fernando could challenge Seb Vettel in a Ferrari that was just as good as the Red Bull. It never really happened. In this case, we have a Red Bull in Verstappen's hands, which at some circuits is better than the Mercedes that we'll see this season and vice versa with Lewis and the Mercedes as well, as we've already seen. So it does create an interesting dynamic now where there's going to be the extra 1%, different facets that we're seeing in this championship that we haven't seen for the last six or seven years, perhaps with the exception of Rosberg Hamilton, but that was very much an inter-team battle anyway. So that was a different element altogether. And as you pointed out, Courtney, Mercedes did struggle at Monaco. It was, we, I mean, we felt that Mercedes would have a bad weekend at some point in the season. We knew they'd struggle, but to the degree that they struggled at Monaco, it wasn't even a case of they're just below their best today. They looked like they were never even in it. If it was a boxing match, and you had Verstappen and Red Bull the way they were against Mercedes, you would have that fight would have been called within the first couple of rounds. It wouldn't have gone anywhere near the distance. So very uncharacteristic like of Mercedes. And obviously what we saw were some of the frustrations coming out, particularly in what Lewis Hamilton was saying to his team. Now, this isn't a new thing. I know that the media do like to portray Lewis when he does this sort of thing as like, oh, Lewis is spitting the dummy out. He's moaning. He's saying this to his team, this, that, and everything else. Let's be honest. When Mercedes have a bad weekend, if anyone's ever sat in the debrief will understand this, and I've never done that. I'd love to, but I've never have done. I imagine a lot worse gets said in these debriefs, and it's coming from all angles. It's not just Lewis moaning at Bono or Lewis moaning at Toto or stuff like this. You'll probably find people in the Mercedes hierarchy will say to Lewis, well, we did this to your car and changed this. Why can't you adapt to it? Mm, You're meant to be the seven-time world champion, won almost 100 Grand Prix. So... You know, it's not just the drivers are spitting the dummy out and doing stuff like this. It comes from all angles. So, you know, when some people use these stories about Lewis or use these quotes that Lewis says on the radio to say, oh, Lewis talks to his team in a really bad way, you know, it's really disrespectful. Let's be honest. All of these Formula One drivers, every single one of them, um, you know, they've said stuff to their engineers. They've said this and that and everything else. And it gets to the point sometimes where these guys are worshipped like gods. And sometimes I feel like they do need to be taken down a peg or two. Same way as tennis players. I'll, I'll give you an example. And this is not to single him out because I have the utmost respect and ability for this man. But so someone like Novak Djokovic. Some of the I knew it was going to be Djokovic. No, well, okay, I, I, I'll use a different example then. I won't use Djokovic <laughs> then. I'll use Andy Murray then as another example. Is that, okay. is that better? But, yeah. um, you know, players like that, some of the stuff that they say to line judges or umpires and stuff like this, if they were playing something like football, or if it was reported in the same way as Formula One, they'd get blasted everywhere. So, well, this is this is the thing, though. You know, we we've spoken about this loads of time in the past about how much we love the the radio messages, the live transmissions. Mm. In other sports, they get away with it. So, football again, prime example. You can you there, there are a lot of times where you can lip read that they're swearing, but you can't let you hear what they're saying. Yeah. So Formula One drivers do have it a lot more difficult in that sense where, you know, the adrenaline is rushing. They, these guys are used to winning and some of them have probably come from sport backgrounds, let's be honest. So they hate losing. They hate not getting what they want. And with all that with all that in mind, in the adrenaline as well, they are going to say and do a lot of rash things. But in other sports, they can get away with it. The heat of the moment kind of thing. 
they're under constant scrutiny in Formula One. And I think that's actually one of the that's the drawback of the radio messages. Even though for me, it's actually one of my favourite features of the race. I doubt the drivers aren't as happy to like know they're constantly being listened to by the general public. No, and this isn't this isn't a new thing either. You know, if team radio in its you know the in its element has existed for years and years and years long before it was being broadcasted it was like a very very rare occasion you'd ever hear a team radio back in the 90s or the early 2000s it's only like the mid 2000s where it started becoming a thing and the broadcasters will always pick and choose the best pieces of information they get from team radio the most important stuff because you know the engineers are talking to the drivers all the way through the race so you're going to be listening on to that team radio you're hardly going to be interested in Lewis talking about his fastest lap or something or Bono saying this to Lewis or, you know, or Rocco saying something, whatever to Max, you know, you don't care for that. You know, you're only interested in the best pieces of information when Lewis complains about his tyres or Max is saying he's got no rear grip or something or he can't follow this or whatever, you know, it happens. I mean, could you imagine having the team radio inside Bottas's helmet when at the point where they couldn't get that wheel off the tyre? Jesus. Now that oh. I would have loved to have listened to. But incidentally, of course, whilst I bring that up, I should mention that on Tuesday, Mercedes were successful in getting that uh, wheel nut off. And I'm not going to lie, Courtney, some of the suggestions I heard on social media were absolutely brilliant in how to extract this wheel nut off the tyre. I think some my favourite one was someone saying that have instead of trying to get the wheel nut off the car, off the tyre, have someone told Mercedes just to take the car off the tyre? I just thought that was brilliant. Just, just I don't quite know what happened there. It was something to do with a wheel gun, wasn't it? The wheel gun misfired or something. Yeah. And Toto Wolf also added that Valsri was partly to blame because he'd missed his oh, markers in the pit box. But, but here's another example. This one. You don't I mean, want to be hearing that, though, do you? Like, you've no, had your race ruined. Of course, but Toto was speaking objectively. He was spe- He was basically saying that there were loads of different things that took, you know, that happened. I mean, Bottas is not the only driver to have ever missed his pit stop marks, and he certainly won't be the last. He probably wasn't the only person to do that over the weekend. It was just unfortunate that all these things happened and it played a part. But that's not to say that that was Bottas's mistake. Like, it's just an, it happens to anybody. And unfortunately certain media outlets that published the story on Toto's comments will extract the headline sentence, which is it's Bottas's fault. When of course we know that's not the case, you know, we don't blame the guy with the the tire gun either. It's not his fault. It's just a load of things that happened. It was just very unfortunate. Um, But it took 43 hours. If you account for the time from the moment a pit stop started, so it's about 157,000 seconds. It's got to be the longest pit stop in history. I was going to say, maybe it must be. There must be. I'm sure there's somebody that has like the stats for it, probably an Arsenal fan. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it's, yeah. It's, probably, it's probably in the stat bank somewhere. So yeah, they do love a stat. I will say that. Um, I, I love a stat. Probably something Crofty will mention at the next race. He loves a stat more than anybody in Formula One. But you've got to come prepared as a commentator. That's one thing I learned, and I'm sure Crofty will know that better than anybody. Um, but that, you know, that being said, it was a difficult weekend for Mercedes, and the frustrations were coming to the fore. And of course, this was coupled by comments that were made by Christian Horner responding to Hamilton saying Lewis is just playing mind games. And then Toto c- comes in afterwards reacting to that by saying, look, you know, Christian needs to worry about his own drivers and not this, that and everything else. And then Horner responds with saying, Toto's had it too easy the last seven years. It's about time he's had someone to actually fight against. It all goes off. And I, I love this because I know this isn't going to end. And this is going to, it's going to blow up in some fashion. That's really going to be the highlight moment in this championship. I, you know, yeah, I, I, I think it's almost inevitable that Lewis and Max or, 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 one of the Red Bull drivers of Mercedes are going to hit each other at some point in this season. And that's when it's all going to kick off. That and the flexi-wing debate. Because whenever there's a close championship battle, there's always a, there's always a flexi-wing debate. Goes yeah. without saying every single time. There's always something. Now, I think we should get onto this topic. We've mentioned it a few times. Let's talk about why it's so significant. So, not to bore people on this, I'm going to try to restrain myself from being too technical because I am aware that sometimes when I go off on a technical tangent, I never come back. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, according to Article 3.8, the long and the, st- the short of it is that 
your aero pieces are meant to be robust enough so that they don't move when they're under the lateral loads that they feel. Basically, what that means is when you're traveling at speed or braking or whatever, your aero parts, there's a specific threshold in which they can move. So it's not a case of it stays rigid and can't move at all. That'd be stupid, you know, um, but there is a threshold to the limit of load that they can experience before they're allowed to start moving. Now, what we saw from the Spanish Grand Prix was the first time it was really highlighted. And Lewis Hamilton pointed this out by claiming that the Red Bull rear wing was moving a lot more than it should be. And when you look back at the replays, is everything else, you can see that it is moving around quite a lot. It does seem that the FIA have taken notice of this and are now revising the levels in which they feel that these aero parts are allowed to move before they're deemed flexi in this case, which of course would be deemed illegal. Now, the problem with this is Total Wolf has said a lot on these. He's basically gone on the, with the line that Red Bull are using an illegal rear wing. Therefore, they need to be told that their rear wing is, is illegal and they need to basically build a new one, which fits within the rules, which, of course, one would assume would be a disadvantage to them pace wise, particularly on the back straights. And the reason why Mercedes are a bit annoyed about what the FAA are doing is not necessarily about them actually enforcing tougher measures to try and prevent these flexi wings from happening, but the date in which they're planning to implement these revised regulations, if it does happen, June the 15th, is after the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. Now, of course, you race fans who would have seen the Azerbaijan Grand Prix will know about the long back straight in the final sector which of course, if Red Bull do have a pace advantage owing to this flexi rear wing, will serve them very well in the final sector, which will make it a lot more difficult if the Mercedes are following behind them to overtake them. So that's kind of where we are with this debate in terms of flexi wings. Now, the problem I see with this originally, Courtney, and I'm going to come to you in a second just to get your thoughts on how you see things going with this flexi wing debate and do you feel it has any real legs in terms of the rest of the competition? We find ourselves with two problems here. Total Wolf's comments explicitly saying that the Red Bull rear wing is effectively illegal because it's moving around too much. And to be fair, from what I've seen, I can understand that. But we're in an era now where we have a cost cap and the FIA put rules in place where the teams have submitted their cars subject to crash tests and everything else. And every time that they have to add new parts to the car, it has to pass crash tests in order and the rules in order to be allowed so the FAA are aware of what's going on in these cars it's not like they've introduced something that's like brand new if it was on the inside of the car like the for example the Ferrari fuel flow a controversy obviously that needs to be brought to the attention by the FIA they can't just take these cars apart and scrutinize them although this year they can if they wanted to um but you know, Mercedes are pointing this out to them, so they're aware of this but my problem is is that if all of a sudden they increase the threshold for how rigid these parts need to be and that they don't move so much, what you're going to end up doing is create a situation where not just Red Bull, but Ferrari, Alfa Romeo, other teams that are benefiting from flexi wings that have openly admitted to doing so are going to have to now spend money, which they may not be allowed to under the current budget cap, to actually produce new rear wings or front wings or wherever it is to that are subject to these new um, FIA regulations. So first of all, what do you make of that situation? Do you feel that it's fair for the FIA to introduce new rules, being that we're in a cost cap situation now, just because Mercedes have flagged it up? I think the, the main issue is, is the way it's been stewarded. Yeah, again, we've, we've, had, a pro we've had problems with the way F the FIA have dealt with things. I think they just need to be transparent, either it's legal or it's illegal. Because let's be honest, right? The external factors of an F1 car can be copied so easily. So if the FIA were to say, yes, the, the flexi rear wing is legal, Mercedes, budget aside perhaps, could come up with, with their own innovations to almost copy that in order to catch up with Red Bull in that part of the car. But they aren't. They, they're given... So let's say, hypothetically speaking, the, the rear wing is deemed to be illegal. That could have benefited Red Bull at Monaco, and it could well benefit them, as we've already stated, in Azerbaijan, which, in theory, should be an opportunity for Mercedes to catch up. If Max goes on to win that race, Mercedes have a little bit of a battle on their hands in order to catch up. 
And then if if it's deemed illegal off that point, it's like well, Mercedes have almost lost points for no apparent reason. So I think the FIA needed to act on it sooner in order there to be clarity, not only for Mercedes and Red Bull, but as already stated for the rest of the grid. Yeah, that's that's a good point because I was going to ask, do you feel that uh, you know the delay in intro- in basically coming out with whatever statement they're going to make on these regulations, if they are going to make a change, it, you know, why do it June fifteenth? Why not do it? I mean, it, it's coincidental, you know, because the, it could be just a normal turnover period for something like this. Because of course, when we have these issues and these get flagged up, they don't just happen overnight. Obviously, it needs to be subject to review. You need to submit evidence. And this is kind of how all these things happen in Formula One between teams. The amount of times we've seen innovations get sent over to the FIA to look into and review and everything else that goes into it, it does take time. Mercedes are really pushing for this because, as we've already mentioned on this, the next race in Baku, which Red Bull will be allowed to run the current car that they have, will give them a benefit um on the back straight which is where the most likely overtaking point will be for lewis hamilton given from what we've seen already in monaco where the red ball seems to be the best car in low speeds at 90 degree corners it almost creates a scenario where if max can put that car on pole he should have a very good chance of winning the race which of course mercedes don't want so you know it creates a situation where mercedes find themselves in a position where if they get what they want it may be quite costly in the end because they may lose the championship by i don't know eight points or something and they'll say well those are eight points that we could have got winning in baku instead of coming behind a red bull um i want to as i said when i was talking about earlier i was mentioning this alfa romeo in particular because frederick vasseur who was talking about this obviously said that alfa romeo do benefit from this situation as well with the rear wing being a bit flexible as do ferrari and his complaint was that with the budget cap regulations and the cars subject to strict intense scrutiny and everything else and it's always been deemed fit and legal now the mercedes are complaining about this this kind of budget they're in a situation with a budget cap where they may not be afford to produce a new part would you do you feel that the fi need to take this into consideration now that they're change, potentially changing the regulations to such a degree where teams are going to find themselves in trouble with the budget cap well yeah there's there are two problems with this first of all that's certainly the case and that aspect will probably lead to the result being in Red Bull's favour for cost cap reasons alone but the the problem is it's a a tone that's set really because if Red Bull get away with 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 a concept which is in theory legal What's stopping other teams from doing that in the future? Because with 2022 coming along, we're going to see some very interesting innovations. Mm. But with that in mind, I think this is a continuation. I, I think this this war of words between Red Bull and Mercedes goes back to the DAS system. Now, I've already mentioned the DAS system. When we went into the first race, went into the first race, and it was still, it was like two or three hours before the race where we found out whether the DAS system is legal or not. Mm. So Red Bull did, go out to unsettle Mercedes because I think Red Bull were feeling quite bullish pun unintended were feeling bullish about their 2020 um, because they had the good testing in 2020 but it looked like Mercedes were hiding so they were doing the, the wine games already to give themselves an edge and to, in order to unsettle Mercedes so I think I think in a sense I think it's Mercedes doing it back to Red Bull because Red Bull have some momentum so Mercedes are going to try and the wine games in order to break it yeah absolutely and I think this is kind of where I feel like it goes against Mercedes a little bit here, because I feel like from what we've heard from Toto Wolf on this and what Red Bull's response was to Mercedes protests, and I'll go into the response first, is that Christian Horner was basically saying that, OK, well, that's fine. They want to protest the rear wing. We'll protest the Mercedes front wing. And they actually pointed out that in Portimao and in Imola, Mercedes front wing, there was video evidence of that front wing moving, or at least the flaps on the front wing moving. And this, you know, Formula One, management they got out the footage they looked at it and it turns out at Imola and at Portimao particularly under braking the Mercedes front wing flaps were moving so in the same way that the Red Bull rear wing was now the problem with that Courtney is that this creates a situation now where it's kind of like a bit of an own goal by Toto Wolf on this one because he's basically gone out and tried to force a regulation change for a specific part of uh, a rival team's car within article 3.8 uh, 
But Article 3.8 does not cover a specific part of a car. It refers to all of the aero pieces on the car, including the front wing. So in a situation where, let's say, the FIA tell uh, change the rules in a way where Red Bull in particular have to change their rear wing, surely it's going to force Mercedes to have to do the same with their front wing. And we know how good that front end of that Mercedes is, and that could prove to be a real problem for them going forward. Well, I think it's all going to kick off from June 15th onwards. Hmm. I, I think, I'm expecting Azerbaijan to be a juicy race as it is, but I think the fireworks are really going to kick off from that point onwards because that's when we go into that, the, the real meat of the season as well, the, the real spine of it. So I think that's when we're really going to see a kick off, not only between um, Max and Lewis, but between Christian Horner and uh, Toto Wolf. And to be honest, I really can't wait for it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the funny thing is, is that the battle between Lewis and Max, between the two drivers at the moment, is probably the most calm element of this entire rivalry going on between the two teams. It seems that everything else that's going on in the background is proven to be much more intense and fiery between the two sides than it actually is between Lewis and Max. This is this is, this is the thing I find interesting because I think some fans are really interested to create this oh, you know, if somebody's a Lewis Hamilton fan, they hate Max Verstappen and vice versa. I actually think that compared to a lot of the driver rivalries we've seen in the past, I think at this stage, it will probably change towards the end of the season. Mm. At this stage, there is actually quite a lot of respect between the two drivers. The main the main rivalry we are seeing is between Toto Wolff and Christian Horner. So if you want to, if you want to go into a, an F1 stand battle, it isn't the drivers you need to be looking at. It's the team principals. Yeah, and I think that's where most of the headlines are coming from. Um, it's got a very much Alonso versus Schumacher vibe to this back in 2006. Not necessarily five, because Schumacher was never in that title race. But it was very much like that, where you had Alonso versus Schumacher, almost like a changing of the guard period as well, which ultimately it turned out to be that way. Um, we've got another potential one here in Verstappen versus Hamilton. And you could argue this is so critical for Max because no matter what Max achieves in Formula One, he has to beat Lewis at least once, yeah. in my opinion, to be acknowledged as one of the all-time greats. And of course, he can go on and win so much and still get that, but it won't be the same because people say, well, you didn't beat Lewis. See, where you can't really stack up to him in that regard. And you know that this is where this way gets really fun. You know, as I said, the Alonso Schumacher thing, you had Briatore versus Todd, um, you know, Ferrari versus Renault. There's so much going on. And the FIA was so involved in this as well with the mass damper controversy at Renault, uh, you know, stuff going on with Ferrari as well, with their front wing. I remember so much debate on that as well. So it, it just goes back and forth. I suppose when I look at this flexi wing debate and hear Red Bull say, well, if we have to do it and they're anticipating they will have to change their rear wing. Asia Nui said it's probably going to cost us around half a million pounds. The front wing at Mercedes might cost them a million from what Red Bull was saying. And the reason why I think they're touting these figures out there with this counter protest that Red Bull are going to lodge if they find the rear wing is illegal is that for what we're hearing from Total Wolf Corny, it does seem that Mercedes might be struggling to stay within that budget cap if they incur any extra expenditure. And I say this because they asked Total Wolf about the development of the 2022 car where his priorities were on that. As we've seen a few teams now, Ferrari, the headline team, that have said they're already focusing on next year's car and want to concentrate on getting more out of this one. Mercedes seems to be going down a similar route now, if what Total Wolf is said to be believed. Now, you know, we'll get into that in a moment, but, you know, by saying what Toto has said regarding the flexi-wing debate, I, I mean, I'm sorry, with the greatest respect to Mercedes fans or Toto Wolf fans, if he gets his way with a rear wing, it's going to detriment the stuff of the front wing. Based on what he said when he was talking about, oh, the front wing is different because of the loads and that that are affecting everything else. Well, I'm sorry. I don't think you can have your cake and eat it on this one, Toto. I really don't. I feel like if you get your way with Red Bull, it's going to come back to bite you with your own car. So I think he's going to, yeah. I think he's going to try his luck with it. He's going to try his luck. He's, he's, he's dicing with danger. But he's going to try his luck, you know. Mm. This, this, look, it's, it's all mind games. That, that's, this is. It always happens when you get to the the main European part of the season. That's when all the mind games start, and he's taking a gamble. Well, it, let me. It's it, debatable. Yeah. Debatable where it's going to work out. 
expect he's definitely taking a gamble. Well, let me put the question to you on this one, Courtney, is based on what Toto said regarding development of the 2022 car, you know, we're going to put the flexi wing argument to bed now. Um, but, you know, with the 2022 car, Toto's already said, as, as I just mentioned, that um, Mercedes are going to focus on that now rather than the 2021 car. They feel that this car is good enough in their minds to perhaps go on and compete for the rest of this world championship. Now, I think that's more of a budget thing, if that's true, rather than an actual, oh, we need to focus on next year's car. Do you feel that uh, what Toto is saying, do you believe what Toto is saying and that they're not going to develop the 2021 car anymore? Or do you feel that there's a genuine concern hidden in what he's saying, that this is a decision that's been forced on Mercedes owing to budget issues rather than a conscious decision to prioritise next year's car when they're competing neck and neck with Red Bull in this season's World Championship? I think it all depends. I don't want to go too much into the next part, but I think it all depends on how this battle continues. I reckon we'll probably know after the next couple of races, because we're going to a circuit where it's going to be completely different to Monaco, apart from maybe the first section. Got a completely different track, specifics there and then afterwards is Austria isn't it yeah we've got the double header well that's assuming yeah that's assuming obviously uh, Austria doesn't fall foul in the same way that Portugal and Turkey have oh so not Portugal Turkey yeah um, having Canada I should say with the Covid stuff because I heard there were stories saying that Austria were having what they banned flights from the UK because of this Indian variant variant. yeah so we'll have to wait and see what happens there yeah let's say hypothetically speaking we have the race in Austria. We'll have a real indication of where this championship is at after these next two races because Monaco's never really representative of a, a car's true pace because you can't overtake there. Mm. So I think after the next two circuits, we're going to have a real idea where these teams are at. But again, with that going, taking, uh, taking the next part of the episode away, I think both Mercedes and Red Bull need to be really careful how they treat this championship because it could come back to bite them in the coming years. Yeah. Well, I'm going to put the question to you now on this one. Upon hearing what Toto Wolf said about their development for next season, that they're going to prioritise that and basically just race with the car that they've got this year. What do you do if you're Red Bull? Do you follow suit and focus on next year's car so you don't lose an advantage? Or do you carry on developing this car to a point where Red Bull have got a margin over Mercedes and then win this year's championship? You know what I would say? Look, I'm no... F1 team principal and it's very unlikely I will be contrary to belief but if I was either Toto Wolf or Christian Orner if you have a driver of the calibre of either Lewis Hamilton or Max Verstappen I think you can have faith in your, in your driver to bring the championship home given how close it is hmm. it's, 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 it's a tough one because it's, it's, it's a catch 22 but I feel given the the massive regulation changes that could affect the team's future, so in the next several years at least, I think they've both got to have trust in the drivers. And actually, anything, it'll benefit us as fans because these cars are so close in terms of their pace right now. We don't want to be seeing any either of these cars having a pace advantage. Right now, we're going to be getting a great battle between Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen to the end of the season. And I think deep down, I, I do think that the team principals, both of them, both Wolf and Horner, will have faith in their drivers to bring the championship home. So at this stage, I think they are right in saying that they are looking at 2022. They need to be careful because they're one or two teams that I really do feel could bring some really great things to the championship in next season. I'm sure we'll go on to that in a moment. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Um, let's take a bit of a sideways step on this one to talk about something that we talked about in the Monaco review regarding Ferrari, just as a separate break before we go back into the main discussion. So Ferrari put out that it was an issue with the left drive shaft that caused Charles Leclerc's retirement before his race even started at the Monaco Grand Prix, of course, missing out on that opportunity to convert pole into the win. And of course, it was a result of the crash that he had in qualifying. Now, I think we're both agreed that Whilst this is very unfortunate for Charles Leclerc, it was his own doing. You know, if he didn't have that crash, he wouldn't have had that issue. Whether it had been on pole or not, we don't know. Of course, half the grid were claiming that they would be, but, you know, we'll never know. But that being said, for a left drive shaft issue, this is kind of something that Ferrari, they say they wouldn't normally look for when they were looking for checking out the gearbox. But because they didn't, 
it cost them the opportunity in the race. And I suppose my question to you on this one, Courtney, is I how disappointed, uh, you know, as a neutral, would you be to hear that from Ferrari in that surely this should be something that they should check anyway? Like, if you're going to have a crash like that, just check the whole rear of the car, not just the the red zone, if you like, of where the danger is expected to be. Well, the neutrals were robbed of a great race because, you know, I've, I've said it before, neutral fans, if we don't get to see Lewis Hamilton versus Max Verstappen, we want to be seeing Max Verstappen against Charles Leclerc because Leclerc is capable of challenging Max and things do tend to get fiery when them two race. So we were robbed of it in that regard. But what I will say is that Ferrari have made some steps forward in terms of the car itself. The engine, we, we know they're still far behind but they're still capable of these, these errors that cost them in a big moment. And if they're going to come back in a way that I expect them to next season, they really need to be making sure that the ins and outs of the, you know, the checking any defaults in a car, they need to be spot on with these kind of things because those kind of mistakes cost you championships. Yeah, you're right. And as a Ferrari fan, I was, I was disappointed. Because I felt like, you know, if it was the gearbox issue, fair enough, you know, something like that. But to hear it was to do with something that, yeah, was probably affected by the crash, but Ferrari didn't even think to look at it. It was like, you guys are meant to be the best, most intelligent minds in the world at what you do. Surely this is something that you should check off your list. I mean, we talk about airplane pilots that have a specific checklist of things they have to do and tick off before they fly. And they always do it every single time. And they have to, because it ends up being a life or death situation. But when it comes to Formula One, of course, it's not a life or death situation by comparison, but surely you would do something similar when you have these issues to actually make sure that everything else is okay. Because of course, whilst the obvious gearbox issue was being addressed and they were looking into it, there's potential for other things that could go wrong as you would normally do when you're checking the car. You wouldn't just assume the car's okay after it goes into park firm and just send it back out and think, yeah, it's fine. It doesn't work that way. So for Ferrari to miss that and then to come out with a line of saying, well, we don't normally check it, which is fine. They've been honest about it. We're going to add it to our routine. It's like, why is it not already a part of your routine? It's too late for that. Well, it's too, it is too late for that, but it's almost like, well, now you know what happens when this thing is missed. You've lost a potential race win, 25 points and plus more. If you consider what would have been lost by McLaren, who's competing within the constructors, because Lando probably would have finished lower. He wouldn't have finished on the podium if it weren't for that. Well, yeah, if you think you think that Daniel Ricciardo didn't score any points. Yeah, big opportunity for so, Ferrari. Was yeah. missed there. Um, but as I said, so much longer to go in this season. But it is encouraging signs for Ferrari performance-wise, given what they showed in Monaco. Obviously, we're not expecting them to be that quick in Baku, but there will be low-speed sections where they will be very strong, and I'm sure they will in other areas of this year. So some good signs, but ultimately Ferrari, another two to one step forward and two steps back moment, I suppose. But that's Ferrari for you. You've got you to roll with the punches and just hope for better days in the future, as I'm sure there will be. So let's get back to the main talking point. I, I suppose we probably will round this off in the next five minutes or so, but... I think to sum it all up, Courtney, we're seeing this battle now developing between Christian Horner and Toto Wolff. And we're seeing Toto Wolff becoming, there's more than just a hint of frustration in what he's saying. Um, Toto, I have the utmost respect for. I think if there's a team uh, that you'd want to drive for in Formula 1 or a team boss you'd want to represent you and want to impress the most, it's definitely Toto. He's got yeah. that father figure. Um, he's kind of like a father figure slash... Um, I want to say mafia boss, but I feel like that's a bit harsh. Um, or, or, you know, a firm but fair boss. You know, you can deliver results, deliver on the big things, but you need to perform for him. And I feel like stuff that he's saying in the press at the moment, responding particularly to Christian Horner winding him up with stuff that he says, it's starting to get to him a little bit. And um, as a Mercedes fan, Courtney, I've got to ask, is it something that you're concerned about? Or do you just feel like for the first time, Toto's, basically having to get the knives out and fight back because he's had that competition. And this is just how he, a natural leader is going to respond to adversity like this. To be honest, I don't want to sound like an arrogant fan because it's just, it's so easy to come across that way when like the team you've been supporting has been doing so well. But for that reason, you, you can't take away that experience of winning championships. 
Like, it can't take away seven consecutive world championships. That doesn't just happen by luck. It takes because they've had the best people, with, obviously, with Toto Wolf at the very top of that. So, I, I think because Mercedes do have people like Toto Wolf, Lewis Hamilton, James Allison, people that have won consecutive championships, that's what I still think they do have the edge. And I think maybe Red Bull know that too. And that's why they are trying to play the mind games because. Let's be honest, it has been Christian Orner that has been the main sort of antagonist when it comes to this war of words. Yeah, I mean, to be fair to Christian, it's usually the media that kind of instigates this kind of war of words. Mm-hmm. Someone says something, like I said, it all starts when Lewis Hamilton says Max seems to be trying to drive like someone who has a lot to prove when talking about his aggressive manoeuvres, which, you know, is absolutely fine. I think that's a fair observation in a way that this is a big season for Max and he has a lot to prove in is he going to be the man that will take that mantle, if you like, off of Lewis and lead the next generation? I think that's a fair thing to say. All the greats have had to go through that. But it goes from that to being fed to Christian on live television, who then goes and says, well, Lewis likes to play mind games. Max is going to do his talking on the track. And then Max responds in the same way. And then it goes back to Toto, goes back to Lewis, goes back to Toto, goes back to Christian, goes back to Max, goes to Serena Williams for some reason, and then all the way back to <laughs> Lewis Hamilton again. And that's that's kind of how it goes. Like, as I said, we use the football analogy. Like, how many times a manager says something, um, usually to M- Jose Mourinho, and then he'll go out and say some random thing to try and slate everybody off. I mean, who remembers football fans? Who remembers... Um, people were talking about Guardiola or something like that to Mourinho about winning a title. Then Mourinho gets up off his seat and said, I've won more Premier League titles than the rest of the managers combined, won it three times, respect. I love that. because, it, But this is what the press do. This is what the media do. They do say things to try and goad participants, in this case, into and a it's response. Working. Yeah, it, it works, absolutely. And it's box office. Uh, this is why we love this sort of stuff in the build-up that you don't see on the track or the behind-the-scenes stuff. And obviously see more of it on Drive to Survive. I think that's what brings fans into the sport, newer fans that watch that series, and they say, oh, this is great. I love all the juicy gossip. I'm going to watch the sport. And then turns out you don't actually see much of it by comparison because it's all hidden behind a PR wall, if you like, yeah. until someone is goaded into saying something that can be construed in one way or another to suit whatever narrative they want. That's that's live sport for you. Um, you know, r- big, massive rant aside on this. And I've got to ask, how do you see this one going? Is there going to be a breaking point where something is it going to happen on track or is it going to happen off track? That's going to set this championship into into high gear, if you like. I think June the 15th could be the moment where it could happen off track. But. Let's be honest, we could go into any race now where we could see a tangle on track between one of the Mercedes and one of the Red Bulls. I, 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 I think there's there's gonna be there's gonna be the boiling point on track. I think that's inevitable. And then that's when there's gonna be fan warfare. That's that's when it's really gonna kick off. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. I mean, I come into this as a bit of a neutral. You know, obviously my allegiances are to Ferrari and that I like to be objective on this so I'm on this podcast. I don't like to run around and f- wave the Ferrari flag at every opportunity. And I hope you guys can appreciate that, that those of you that listen, that we do try to be objective in this. Because for me, I, I don't care who wins. Honestly, I really yeah. don't. Um, there's obviously reasons why I want Max to win and there are reasons why I want Lewis to win. But ultimately... I just feel like it's going to come down to who can hold their nerve the best in the pressure situations. And this is great. You know, people say, oh, Lewis hasn't had a real challenge uh, for the last couple of years. Well, he's getting one. And Max will never, probably ever face someone as good as Lewis Hamilton right now in the car that he's in. So this is a great opportunity for him. And it's obviously going to come down to all of the little 1% that you pick up from one garage to the next. Um, before we end this, one thing I did want to mention earlier, I'm going to mention it now because it's really got on my mind. Um, we were talking earlier about the situation with Bottas and the Wilner and everything else, and obviously how heartbreaking that was for him, because otherwise he drove a solid weekend if it wasn't for that incident. What I found really interesting was a segment that from an interview with Toto Wolf on this, and that he's obviously talking about the incident and what happened and everything else. And he said they tried for ages to try and get it off. And they enlisted in help of other people from other teams to help them out. And the best part was he said Ferrari, K 
came along to help them out because they're in the garage next to them. And they turned up with sledgehammers to help them out, to try and get this wheel nut off. Ultimately, they were unsuccessful. But this raises two questions. One, how badly was that nut screwed in the wrong way for it to prevent sledgehammers from getting it off? And two, what are Ferrari doing going around the paddock with sledgehammers? <laughs> oh, I'll say nothing. <laughs> I, I'm kind of imagining, like, you know, because obviously, you know, an Italian-based team and everything else and stuff. I'm imagining a situation, like, from the Godfather film, a bit of a combination between the Godfather, I think, Casino Royale. And it's that scene with Daniel Craig sitting on the chair. I think, is it Casino Royale? I think it's that one. Where he gets, obviously, the bad guys trying to hit him in the nevers um, with the rope. And I'm kind of imagining the situation with Matteo Benotto, or perhaps Mauricio Riva Bene probably would have been more akin to this, the way that he managed at Ferrari. Um, it just with the sledgehammers, and it's almost like, I, 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 I'm baffled. If, if anyone knows why Ferrari or any other team might have sledgehammers at a race weekend, please let us know. I'm, I'm imagining it's for a situation where they need to do something with the car to get someone out of it or try and... I don't know, but... That, or rigging. That... Might be rigging. Who knows? Might be, <laughs> might be when I put the motorhome together. I'm no expert in that, so... I'm well, apparently McLaren was showing off a nice, fancy, um, condensed version of a motorhome that they've made recently, which is meant to be top of the range. So maybe there's some... Something to do with that with sledgehammers. I, I honestly don't know. I just found that amazing that Total War said Ferrari just turned up with sledgehammers to try and get this wheel nut off the car. That's the footage I want to see. Ferrari mechanics yeah, trying to hit see. that nut no, off with a sledgehammer. Yeah, and ultimately unsuccessful. Oh, it's Some of the stuff you hear in Formula 1 is so brilliant. It really is. Um, it's another reason why we love the sport, not just for the fast cars, but some of the stories you hear are absolutely bonkers, and that's up there, right up there with them. Um. I don't know if there's anything else you want to add to that before we sign off, Colt. I think we've pretty much gone across everything. But yeah, just to slow, summarise, it's going to be a fun season, but I do think Mercedes and Lewis are going to edge this championship. Yeah, but I, I mean, I do wish... I'm, so, I'm sorry I don't have the Red Bull fan with us, but I'm going to play the devil's advocate here and be the Red Bull fan and go the opposite way. I think that this could be Max's year and Red Bull may, may just be able to do enough to... Uh, We'll see. Stop Mercedes. But again, it is so many facets to come into it. So let us know what you think, guys. How do you feel this battle is going to go down? How do you feel about the flexi wings issue? Do you feel like it's a Mercedes own goal if it affects their front wing and obviously development for 2022? And of course, let us know what you think is going to happen in Baku. Incidentally, we are going to be doing the, re the preview, I should say, for the Azerbaijan Grand Prix next week. So make sure to check that out when it does come out. And of course, if you've enjoyed this podcast, make sure to like the video and make sure to subscribe to the DNF1 channel. We're quite close to 400 subscribers already. It wasn't long ago we got to 300. So please, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the channel and share it with anyone you know that might be interested. And also weigh into the comments. Let us know what you think about the debate going on with Red Bull Mercedes and let us know how you think it's going to go down. But uh, until then, guys. Hope you are having a good time and enjoying your weekend. Bank holiday weekend, of course, in the UK. So hope you're all enjoying that. And uh, until the next time, guys, stay safe. Thanks for tuning in. And we will see you in the next episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. See you soon. Podcast Network.